From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Sean Zeller. Syrian dictator Bashar al-Assad has again allegedly used chemical weapons against his own people in his country's ongoing civil war. President Donald Trump has threatened a U.S. response to the gas attack on a rebel-held suburb of the Syrian capital, Damascus. However, Secretary of Defense James Mattis told the House Armed Services Committee this week that he fears greater U.S. involvement could spin out of control. And Mike Pompeo, Trump's nominee for Secretary of State, told the Senate Foreign Relations Committee that U.S. airstrikes had already killed Russian soldiers working with Assad. My guests today are Megan Scully, CQ's foreign policy editor, and John Donnelly, our defense reporter. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Hi, Sean. All right, first to you, John. What did Mattis mean when he said U.S. involvement could spin out of control? Well, there are a number of countries involved in Syria, Iran, Turkey, the United States. But I think the primary thing he was worried about is nuclear-armed Russia is propping up the Bashar al-Assad regime. And how will they react? Uh, First of all, we are committed to ending that war through the Geneva process and the U.N.-orchestrated effort. It has been unfulfilled because, again, Russia has continually blocked the efforts. But that doesn't mean we give up. We work with the international community. Uh, A year ago this month, uh, President Trump ordered a a cruise missile strike on an airfield from which another chemical attack had been launched. Reportedly, he gave the Russians advance notice of that, which I think effectively means he gives the Syrians and the Iranians advance notice. I imagine something like that will happen again if there's a strike. But there's definitely a worry that will put Putin, Vladimir Putin, the Russian president, in a position where he has no choice but to respond somehow. And then who knows where that goes from there. I I imagine that's what Mattis had in mind, although he didn't explicitly say so. Okay. But wait, Megan, that seems like a contradiction with what Mike Pompeo said in his confirmation hearing before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, in which he he talked about the U.S. getting tough on Russia and, in fact, having killed Russian soldiers in Syria. In Syria, now a handful of weeks ago, the Russians met their match, and a couple hundred Russians were killed. The, the list of actions that this administration has taken, I'm, I'm happy to, to walk through each of them. He was rather vague in his response. He did kind of boastfully say the Russians have met their match, but it was really unclear what the intent of those remarks were. I would, I would just point out that the fact that Vladimir Putin did not respond, he held his fire in response to that incident, may make it more difficult for him to hold his fire next time. That's something that we should think about. Right. And John, this has long been, Syria has long been an intractable problem. Of course, Barack Obama famously pledged that there was a red line against chemical attacks there, implying that he would act if there was. And he didn't when Syria used them in 2013. So why is it such a big problem? The chemical weapons get a lot of attention, and understandably so, because they're so heinous. But about 500,000 times more people have been killed by non-chemical weapons in Syria, uh, by some estimates, since the civil war erupted in 2011. Um, It's a humanitarian crisis of incredible proportions. In a country of 18 million people, 11 million people have been displaced from their homes, either within the country or leaving the country. Uh, it's just been horrible. And, and yet the U.S. response has been limited to focusing on, on 
Number one, ISIS, which we've done a good job of decimating. And number two, responding on now what appears to be a, a couple of occasions coming up, the second one, uh, to uh, the use of chemical weapons or the apparent use of chemical weapons by the regime. Now, ISIS, of course, these are Islamic militants uh, that are one of the factions fighting for control in Syria. The other, of course, the longstanding Assad regime. Previously, his pr father was the dictator in mm -hmm. the country. And then there are many other factions too, yes. right? Yes, yes. Uh, you've got, of course, you've got, we've already mentioned the Russians are there, uh, the Iranians, uh, Hezbollah, the Turks uh, have taken territory in the north. They're, they're fighting the Kurds there, the Kurds who have been our allies uh, in the fight against ISIS. And Israel um, has been launching airstrikes in, in, in Syria against Hezbollah. So it is a multifaceted uh, conflict. And, and Obama's fear was that U.S. involvement could lead to something worse than the Assad regime, an, an Islamist state. Yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of risks to getting involved. If, if the U.S. had gotten involved, it would have been a really messy fight. You know, it's a, this has been a tough problem. I mean, it's been hard to watch the humanitarian crisis unfold. On the other hand, you know, had the United States gotten involved, it would have been a huge deal for, for us and for the, for the region. Now, in a sense, this, the civil war is about over. I mean, Assad appears to have won. He's got um, the Russians on his side, longstanding allies of the Assad family. Yeah. And I mean, they have taken back huge amounts of territory. And so it seems like it's a, it's a bizarre time for the United States to be uh, getting involved. The and time, Trump, Trump just said before this chemical attack that he wanted to get out. Yes. It was one of a couple of uh, impetuous statements that he made. But when he said get out, yeah. what does he mean? We have a couple thousand troops in Syria. Yep. Um, mostly special forces. Um, and they're assisting rebel factions that we yes. side with? Or? Yes, in the fight against ISIS. I want to get out. I want to bring our troops back home. I want to start rebuilding our nation. We will have, as of three months ago, $7 trillion in the Middle East over the last 17 years. We get nothing, nothing out of it. Well, let's go back. 2016 campaign, Donald Trump was the guy saying, don't telegraph your punch to the enemy. Don't uh, have uh, calendar-based uh, withdrawal uh, uh, proposals. And now he says, number one, in an offhand comment, I think we should pull out of Syria and soon, which weeks before his former secretary of state had said, we need, we're, there for the, we're there for as long as we need to be there. And then he says, look out, Russia, the missiles are coming. Okay, so now if the United States does not go to war in Syria, we appear weak and our credibility is diminished. So his his Twitter diplomacy <laughs> has limited U.S. options. And if we look back just one year, there was this previous chemical attack that uh, was attributed to Assad and Trump influenced, as I recall, by his daughter Ivanka and her horror over seeing children gassed, uh, dropped some missiles on Syria. But it, what was the effect of that? Well, uh, the Pentagon says it destroyed 17 percent of uh, Assad's air force. But again, uh, in terms of the long-term impact, uh, Assad is up on the verge of winning the war. 
And uh, we may have dissuaded him from using chemical weapons to some extent, but not completely. And by the way, the two occasions on which the U.S. or three, if you count, count Obama's red line statement that he uh, ended up backing away from when the U.S. and British, uh, you know, uh, representative bodies uh, disagreed uh, and, and he wanted the Russians to take over. Those were not the only occasions when chemical weapons were used. There have been numerous occasions, additional occasions, when uh, there's pretty considerable evidence that Assad has used chemical weapons. And by the way, ISIS also has used mustard gas. All right, Megan, turning to you, if we're going to hope to resolve this conflict without the force of arms, in other words, diplomatically, it would be the role of the Secretary of State, presumably. We don't have one right now. So remind our listeners why that is. Sure. Well, uh, last month, the president uh, fired Rex Tillerson via Twitter, very memorably. Tillerson's last day was a few weeks ago at State. Immediately after firing him, nominated uh, CIA chief Mike Pompeo, uh, who was very close with the president, to be the next secretary of state. Pompeo is a a three-term congressman. He is very skilled at, at working the Hill, but he faced a tough confirmation hearing. He was on the House Intelligence Committee, right? He's a former yes. member of Congress from Kansas, and he's said to have a good rapport with Trump for some reason. Why, why is that? They're said to be very close, um, much closer than, than Trump and Tillerson were, by all accounts. Those two never quite hit it off. Uh, Trump prizes loyalty, and he sees Mike Pompeo as, as being a loyal aide. Now, Pompeo has been at CIA, which has been criticized by Trump. Uh, has he done a good job of tamping down that dispute between the, between the government employees who work at, C- at the CIA and Trump, who are said to have a conflict? It's hard to track that, just the nature of the CIA, but we certainly didn't see the type of divide that you did between, for instance, the, 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 the political appointees under Tillerson at state and the career Right, diplomats. where there was a mass exodus, yes, really. Yes, a mass exodus. There's lots of um, morale is very low. There are a lot of open positions. Uh, we didn't see that at, that at CIA. But, but again, just the nature, the differences between the two agencies, you know, it, it, it's CIA much more is much secretive. more opaque. Yes, right. yes. Uh, so the confirmation hearing of Mike Pompeo this week, how did it go? It was contentious at times, perhaps most memorably when he was getting grilled by the top, the top Democrat on the committee, uh, Robert Menendez, who uh, really tried to push Pompeo to reveal. Um, Pompeo confirmed, interestingly, that, that he had sat down to speak with the special counsel, Robert Mueller, and his team um, to talk about any instances of, of interaction between Russia and the Trump campaign. You have spoken to Special Counsel Mueller. Yes, that's and, correct. And what was the subject of the conversation? Senator, I'm not going to speak to that. Did, did the Special Counsel tell you not to speak about these things? Senator, I, I have cooperated with multiple investigations. While the investigation continues, I think that's the appropriate way to approach it. Menendez really pushed Pompeo to share more information, and and Pompeo would not. That was probably the the biggest, the, the highest attention point of the hearing. However, even Republicans wanted to to ensure that Pompeo would be an honest broker at state, that he wouldn't just be a rubber stamp for Trump. You know, several said uh, said you know some Democrats who had 
had voted for Pompeo, for CIA, said, okay, I, I could back him as chief of the intelligence, Central Intelligence Agency, but I'm more leery of making him the nation's top diplomat. Right. And he indeed, he got some Democratic votes when he was confirmed to be CIA director. But the question now, as we're as he moves on to the Senate floor, presumably, and and the Senate decides whether to confirm him, is whether the Democrats will be in lockstep against him, whether all 49 Democrats will vote no, and then whether there might be Republicans who will deny him the job. And where, do the, where are the Republican votes? We already know one Republican who sits on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, Rand Paul, is going to vote against him. That means that there's only one more Republican on that committee than, than there are Democrats. So if all of the Democrats on the committee were to vote against him, he wouldn't get a favorable vote from the committee. Now, the Senate could still take up his nomination. It's unusual, but it certainly could. Pompeo needs at least one Democratic vote to be confirmed. Okay, Megan. So Rand Paul, who's a libertarian Republican and objects to U.S. foreign policy abroad and drone strikes and is planning to vote no for those reasons, if all the Democrats stick together, that's 50 votes no. Are all the Democrats going to stick together? We don't know at this point. Pompeo is courting Democrats, particularly vulnerable Democrats, who voted for him last time, uh, like Senator Heidi Heitkamp. Senator Claire McCaskill and, and others to, to try to get at least one Democratic vote. Uh, key here is the fact that Senator John McCain, Republican of Arizona, has been in Arizona since December uh, dealing with brain cancer. It's unclear, um, some would say unlikely, that he would be back in time for this vote. So Republicans are down, not just the Paul vote, but likely down the McCain right. vote. If McCain returns and votes for Pompeo, and all the Republicans stick together and all the Democrats stick together, joined by Rand Paul, it's 50-50. Mike Pence can break the tie. Yes. But McCain's return is so uncertain that this nomination uh, is uncertain. Yes, it, it's very up in the air right now. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't assume that all the Democrats would stick, stick together. It's possible that one of them defects. So, but, but the bottom line is what you just said. Yeah, it's, it's up in the air. Washington Post had an interesting editorial today, which I surprised me. They basically said Pompeo would be horrible, but we need a secretary of state. So let's let's confirm. Right. They said vote for him. Yeah. I don't know if that'll influence anybody, but it was an interesting take. Megan, a factor for the Democrats on the Pompeo vote is the Iran nuclear deal that former President Barack Obama reached with Iran in an effort to end Iran's nuclear program. What did Pompeo say about that? Well, interestingly, he requested a speedy confirmation for himself, um, saying that he needed to be in place before a mid-May decision from the president on whether Iran is complying with the deal. Pompeo said that, that he wanted to be in place to negotiate with allies a potential fix to the, the nuclear deal, which Pompeo and Trump have both blasted. Pompeo is uh, perhaps in an, in an attempt to attract support from Democrats, uh, softening a bit on the deal, um, saying not necessarily that it needs to be nixed, but that they could amend it um, to make it more favorable to the United States. It was interesting at yesterday's hearing with Defense Secretary James Mattis and Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Joseph Dunford at House Armed Services, they said, I believe for the first time, that the Iran deals, the Iran is complying with the nuclear deal, but it needs to be fixed. They had previously said that 
they were complying, but they didn't add that last part. Uh, they seem to want to expand the deal so that it covers Iranian behavior in other areas, including missile missile proliferation, missile development, and support for Hezbollah and things like that, and, and what they're doing in the per, in the Persian Gulf in terms of uh, with uh, some of their uh, boats. So uh, that's a, kind of a noteworthy development in terms of the politics of it. All right. Thank you, John. Thank you, Megan, for coming on the show. Thank you. Pleasure. I'm Sean Zeller. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One. And please rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at RollCall. <laughs>